As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're here with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Joining us today in the studio, it is The Times' very own James Restall. Later on, we're going to look back at a huge day for women's football in England and we'll discuss the brilliant job Gareth Ainsworth is doing at Wickham. Also, Ronaldo's wait for 100 continues. First, though, England's comfortable campaign comes to an end in Kosovo. England finished their Euro 2020 qualifying campaign with a victory over Kosovo, ensuring they'll be among the top seeds next summer. Henry Winter was in Kosovo covering the game for the Times, and he joins us now to look back on the campaign as a whole. Uh, Henry, it was a, a comfortable win that capped off what was another comfortable qualifying campaign for England. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they are a more confident, attacking, balanced team than they were at the World Cup where they got to the semi-final. So it's, look, it bodes well towards um, Euro 2020, um, which probably five of the games, if England get to the final, will be at Wembley. So that's, that's great. We all remember the euphoria of um, Euro 96, if not necessarily the penalty shootout at the end. I think that there are issues. I mean, Southgate's been highlighting them, the defence is, is an issue. Mings looked like he was dropping off, slightly sort of nervous last night, which, which surprised me because I thought he had a very short debut when he played in Bulgaria. England need to find the right partner for Harry Maguire. Look, mm-hmm. the attacking fullbacks are great. They're definitely going to start. But you did see a tactic last night that um, the Kosovans were using, which was to sort of plant diagonals behind uh, Alexander-Arnold and Chilwell, which might make them think twice before sort of herring up the, the, the pitch, particularly when England are playing against sort of stronger teams than the Euros. Central midfield, I thought Harry Winks was, was very encouraging. I mean, last night was, was, was like a friendly in terms of England had qualified. It was about preparing for, for the Euros. Four friendlies, obviously, still to come. Well, the preparation has clearly started now. And it was a very friendly atmosphere with the Kosovans going around hugging everyone. Um, but I thought Winks was excellent. Still, that central midfield triangle is, is an issue. Um, but that's in defence. So it's only midfield and defence Southgate's got to sort out now. The attack's great. Yep, the attack is certainly looking good. You mentioned that they're more balanced. What do you mean exactly by that? I much prefer 4-3-3. I just think it suits the, the qualities. I think it suits Sterling, who's England's most important player, best. I think if you looked at the way he was playing in the World Cup, he was playing sometimes as the, the, the furthest point of the, the two central strikers. Sometimes he was behind Harry Kane. I didn't think it really suited him. I think he's best when he's a wide raider. I thought you saw also when Rashford came on, how good he is cutting in from the left. I thought he was brilliant. He's responded to the challenge of uh, Jaden Sancho and also Callum Hudson-Odoi. And England probably have, along with the French, 
arguably the Belgians, one of the best attacks in, in Europe, which, which is encouraging, clearly encouraging. And the great thing about it is just looking at it last night, there's no fear in this team anymore. There was a little bit with Mings, the way he was sort of dropping off. But Harry Winks was getting on the ball and his first you know, intention was to drive forward. Well, Declan Rice played a little bit safe um, at times. I noticed that he, in the first half, that there were comments coming in from Roy Keane on social media. He was talking on ITV, and he, he was being very critical of Declan Rice. I thought Rice actually in the second half, he seemed a little, seemed a little bit more sort of positive and was pushing on. And I think Southgate's got to go for it at the at the Euros. I don't think we need a sort of archetypal holding the field because I don't think we have one of sufficient quality. So put Winks in there, and then Henderson, and possibly Oxlade Chamberlain as well, and be sort of, you know be more positive. So for, for Winks, is it that versatility, do you think, that, that makes him stand out? I think what he can do is that at some point, particularly in the second half, he was covering back to left back and covering Ben Chilwell. And we've seen his sort of creative side, his passing, his positivity. I thought the way he took the goal was, was very good, that driving run through, running onto the ball from um, the Oxlade Chamberlain. I thought, he was, I thought he was excellent. So very sort of encouraging from him. Uh, I thought he was the real standout performer of the night mm-hmm. along with Chilwell and Rashford when he came on. So, look, but the problem is, and this is something that Southgate has sort of talked about, uh, and actually Southgate's a little bit inconsistent on, is that he's got to be playing regularly for Tottenham Hotspur. But then if he's England's best option in that position and he's only starting one game with two or three for Spurs, is Southgate really going to leave him out? Come in for a lot of criticism from Roy Keane. You wonder if there's a little bit of needle from his time with the Republic of Ireland, Declan Rice. But is he is he right or is he actually being unfair on Rice, some of the comments he's made? Got to remember that, that Rice is, is still only 20. Mm. Um, he's relatively inexperienced and he's done incredibly well to um, force his way into the into this England squad um, and 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 he has shown he has had some good performances for England do I think he's the answer in that position at Euro 2020 um, I don't um, maybe a bit more left field um, I'd, I'd I'd even consider putting Alexander Arnold in there Mm-hmm. and having him at the base of the midfield. Um, Southgate experimented towards the end of the Montenegro game and put Alexander-Arnold on the right of midfield. I think you'd be losing... You would you would lose what he offers from that wing-back role, but I do I do think he has all the ingredients to yeah. succeed in that position. Well, that was a, a position that he started out, wasn't it, in midfield uh, yeah. as a youngster as well for, for Liverpool. Could you see that one working, Henry? Southgate's talked about it a fair bit. Possibly, particularly if you've got Juan Bissaka who can step in very ably at right back. England are not short of right backs at the moment. I mean, you've also got Joe Gomez if he wants to sort of take a sort of versatility, adaptable player who can play right sided centre half or right back. He's got that option there. Obviously, Kieran Trippier has been in good form for uh, for Atletico Madrid, so he's got options there. I do. I mean, I can see him playing there. I wouldn't want to see him at the base of the uh, of, of the midfield as a pivot. I think defensively he could still get caught out, mm. and I. <laughs> It will be look. It's definitely worth trying, and I'm sure Southgate will in one of the four friendlies. But it will be a little bit of a gamble. And just a word on the defence, Gregor. That is something that perhaps is the biggest concern for England going forward. Is the biggest issue? Do you think for Southgate knowing the best central defence pairing? Yeah, I think it's Harry Maguire and one other. Um, I think Tyrone Mings. I think Tyrone Mings has got a good chance, and we didn't have the best the best game he's ever had the other night but when you look at the other options John Stones Joe Gomez are struggling to get regular game time at club level uh, Tamori had an excellent breakthrough season at Chelsea but um, 
still very inexperienced. Um, and someone like John Stones, who's been a regular for England, he had a good World Cup in Russia. But I think when it came to the sort of crunch and in, in the Nations League final as well, he can cost goals. Um, I think Mings has the potential to be the to be the partner to Harry Maguire there. But I think it also ties in with the with the issue in midfield. I think I think England don't really have anyone to to cover that that defensive pairing. So I think they're going to have to play to the strengths. They're going to have to they're going to have to attack because they have one of the the best attacking attacking line, front lines in in Europe. Um, when you look at the depth of it, Rashford. Harry Kane, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Sancho, Raheem Sterling, Tammy Abraham. Um, scary amount of speed and skill, so um, I think England need to play to the strengths. Natalie, can I jump in? Gregor, I mean, with your professional eye, how would you compare that with the, the riches that France have got up top when you look at Mbappe? And you can argue about Giroud, but you know, he's still an important player for them. And obviously Griezmann, Dembélé, Koeman, people like that. Yeah. How would you compare... Yeah, of course, France have, have got a, a frightening attack in front line as well. But I think the difference is Harry Kane. I think he is the complete centre-forward. He can create his own goals. Um, he's ruthless when he's provided with, with a chance. Um, he can drop in a link play. And just with the, the sheer sort of strength and depth and the options available to, to England out wide, and with Tammy Abraham really flourishing at Chelsea this season, he's a really solid alternative to to Harry Kane as well so I think England need to play play to those strengths um, they don't really have the right players to, to sort of buttress that midfield and it may be that they should play a little bit more like like Liverpool and utilise the, the full backs more but I think I agree with Henry they need to they need to really attack Just uh, finally Henry a couple of points to ask you on um, we mentioned there that, that Southgate believes England are further ahead than they were before the World Cup in 2018. They have a few international breaks to come before the Euros begin with uh, friendlies to come. How optimistic are you about England's Euro chances? Injuries. I think that we know we talked to Southgate about it last night. You know, how does he sleep easily during the sort of four months until they meet up again? Mm. And it is an issue because he'll be going to games and just praying that, you know, his, uh, his, his precious players don't get injured. Um, he had a strong earmarked role for Oxlade Chamberlain going into the uh, the last World Cup, and then Oxlade Chamberlain unfortunately got in, injured against uh, Roma, mm. and it was it was it was devastating for him and for, for for England. So, well, I mean, England sort of made up for it in many ways, but that is always an issue. And England have a history of going into tournaments with focus on injuries. I mean, Beckham and Rooney in the past. So, I think that's going to be a real issue. But I think I think he probably knows nine if he's starting eleven now. I mean, as Gregor and Jones were sort of alluding to, I think it's maybe the the, uh, the right sided centre half. Maguire can play either side, and it's a question of who partners him. Whether it's I mean they, they do wait Tomori. If Tomori has a strong second half to the season with Chelsea as he has in the first half, he'll be a, a serious contender to uh, to play. They really like him. Just you know the strength, the pace, the ability to to, to pass under pressure as well. Um, and then central midfield. I think there'll be a focus on Madison. Madison's got a huge fan club. Obviously, it's having a great season for, for Leicester City. Manchester United, I'm sure, will be all over him next summer because he fits in with what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is trying to do there. So there'll be a lot of focus on him. Um, but no, it's, it's very encouraging. As Gregor was saying, the fact that England have got sort of options 
you know, you didn't even mention Callum Hudson-Odoi. I didn't think out of the greatest game last night, but he's a huge talent as well. He's only, what, so 19, I think. So England have got strength in depth far more than they had going into to the World Cup. So, yeah, very, very, very encouraging. And they've learned how to take penalties. <laughs> oh, I can't believe we're already talking about penalties. Um, just finally, Henry, a, a word on Kosovo, who is a country on the up in terms of footballing uh, prowess, but they're a country that couldn't have been more welcoming to English fans. Is that right? I mean, it was honestly, it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, the uh, the they all had um, England t- England shirts on, England T-shirts, welcome. You know, Kosovo doesn't forget what happened in the in the, in the Kosovo War when the, the British and the Americans, I mean, there's Bill Clinton, Boulevard, their children named after Tony Blair, which is a, quite an intriguing thing to call your, call your child, I assume it's from the boys. Um, and, you know, there's a great love and a great respect and a great appreciation. I mean, in the interest of research, I was in a bar with England and Kosovo fans quite late last night. And they were... Good research. And they kept, they, they, yeah, absolute research. And they kept on... They kept on talking about it and mentioning it and hugging it. And, it, you know, there was one man who must have been sort of late 40s who brought his son into the, the, the bar and he said, listen, it's because of your compatriots, it's because of the British soldiers, that my son now has a future. And so there was just huge gratitude there. And it was, I mean, given the problems England have had on the road recently, you know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a special night. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Giggs and Wales have one of the biggest weeks in their history ahead of them after setting up a winner-takes-all clash with Hungary on Tuesday. Goals from Kiefer Moore and Harry Wilson were enough to beat Azerbaijan 2-0 on Saturday evening. The win means they're just a point behind second-place Hungary, who they play then this week. And a win will secure their place at Euro 2020.
Uh, despite having the backdoor entrance via the playoffs as a possibility, Tuesday's game could potentially define Giggs's spell in charge of Wales, couldn't it, James? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's you never want to leave anything to the lottery of playoffs. Um, mm. uh, it's if they, if they, if they, you know, it's very simple for them win and they're through um, and they're boosted by the fact that they'll have Bale and Ramsey available to start I think I think Giggs has said um, about an hour ago that both will start so um, yeah it's 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 a huge game if they can handle the pressure of it in front of a home crowd I think they I think they can get the job done and, and, and that'd be fantastic I mean, we wouldn't want to talk about the second option of playoffs, but obviously Greg or Scotland have that. <laughs> I had to bring that up. Um, but Ryan Giggs's tenure as the Wales boss has been kind of mixed from the fans. Yeah, there's been a kind of lingering feeling that Wales haven't really fulfilled their potential um, and that maybe Giggs hasn't got the best out of the, the squad available to him. Um, I mean, there has been there have been injuries... Gareth Bale and, and Ramsey I don't think have been on the same pitch for Wales since last November uh, both of their injury troubles but I think it's been fascinating that the sort of emergence of, of Kiefer Moore um, who only made his, his debut against Belarus in September has really kind of transformed Wales, Wales fortunes um, and it's strange that this, this big 6 foot 5 striker target man uh, who plays for Wigan Athletic in the Championship is is getting the best from an attacking front line that includes Gareth Bale from Real Madrid, Aaron Ramsey of Juventus, Dan James of Manchester United, and Harry Wilson uh, of Liverpool, who's on loan at, at Bournemouth. But he really has he really has transformed their attack. He's a big target man that can that can stretch the play, um, and he creates space for those players. To kind of flourish, um, and he's had a really interesting journey as well. He he began in non-league football with with Truro City and, and Dorchester Town. Uh, he worked as a lifeguard and a personal trainer. Um, I believe he got a move to to Yeovil Town. Didn't really work out for him. Went to play in Norway, um, and even I think three years ago, I, I believe I played against him when he was at Forest Green Rovers in the National League, and he he moved on to to. Rotherham United, Barnsley, and now Wigan, um, and he's he's had a he's had a had a, an excellent last three years. Not prolific. Um, I think he's got one goal in in fourteen games this season for for Wigan. Um, but he scored two and four for Wales, and as I say, he's he's transformed transformed Wales' attack, and and uh, I think I think the way the way Ryan Giggs has, has stumbled onto that has has been really important for the for the improvement in their form. At the time of recording, the Republic of Ireland are one win away from automatic qualification for next summer's Euros. Monday night, Mick McCarthy's side take on Denmark in Group D, knowing a win will book their place in another major tournament. McCarthy's side have already guaranteed a playoff spot. Three points behind Denmark. The win will be enough thanks to their head-to-head record, despite the Danes being 15 goals better off. This kind of reeks this qualification campaign of Ireland of Mick McCarthy doesn't it Gregor and Ireland too really I think um, they've not been particularly exciting to watch for for a number of years now certainly in an attacking sense they're always very solid at the back Um, they've got a very sort of reliable dependable Premier League back four in in Shane Duffy John Egan Matt Doherty and Enda Stevens. but in front of that 
really their attacking options are are very limited. Um, it's, it'll be the sixth meeting of of these two these two nations in in the last two years, and they've all been very tight games. They've been three nil nils, one one all draw, and of course the the five one defeat in the in the playoff of the World Cups when Christian Eriksen scored that hat trick. But Ireland Ireland have they've only conceded four goals, very solid defensively. As I say, it's just it's going the other way. Only scored six and seven. Denmark have scored twenty two. But I also think there's there's a bit of needle in this game. Mick McCarthy's kind of alluded to a bit of arrogance among the Danes in the build up to this. Thomas Delaney, the the Dortmund midfielder, plays for Denmark, compared playing against Ireland to opening a can of baked beans with your bare hands. So they're not fans of playing against Ireland, and um, so it could be a feisty one. And of course, Ireland are going to have to watch out for Christian Eriksen. He's having a difficult season for Spurs in the Premier League, but he scored five goals and, and registered three assists in qualifying so far. And, and Ireland don't need reminded what he's capable of. The, the most difficult thing for the Republic of Ireland is scoring goals. They've never really been able to find that Robbie Keane replacement. No, um, but it's going to be interesting tonight because if they... If they, uh, if they, I think the, the best thing to do would be to get an early goal and try and and try and shut up shop. I think because they're not a prolific side. Um, so, uh, so I think really, it might be quite a painful watch tonight. I think the women's Super League crowd record was smashed for the second time this season on Sunday. Thirty-eight thousand two hundred sixty-two people turned up at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as Arsenal beat Spurs two-nil in the first ever North London derby in the WSL. The previous record was beaten this season. Thirty-one thousand two hundred thirteen people witnessed the Manchester derby. The Times' Molly Hudson joins us now to look back on an historic day for women's football in Britain. Uh, Molly, average attendances in the Women's Super League are more than four times higher than last season so far. How much has it helped the game by putting these fixtures in these big stadiums? Yeah, it's helped massively. I think actually it's a bit crazy when you look at all of the records that were broken yesterday and the records that have been broken so far this season. I think there's been more uh, fans through the door in these first uh, six match days than there were in the entirety of last season. Mm. So it is clearly working. Um, Obviously, the next step is to get some of these fans back to the ground week in and week out. And I think actually probably the most exciting uh, attendance yesterday was at Chelsea. It was their normal ground at Kings Meadow and they got 4,790, I think. Uh, very close to a sellout. Um, and that was off the back of them playing at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season. And if they can keep up that number week in and week out, that's real progress that we haven't seen before. Because, you know, we all know fans are likely to come out, particularly yesterday at the new Tottenham Stadium. A lot of the Spurs fans and even the 3,000 Arsenal fans probably hadn't been to that stadium before or had a chance to go with the men's side. So, of course, they're going to come out for that. But the most important thing is getting them back week in and week out. Yeah, as you say, that will be the key to continue the, the drive for these big attendances, the drive to hold on to these fans that are coming to the big stadiums. Um, what more do you think can be done then to continue that? I think it's just making sure that every game is marketed in the same way that we market these big games. You know, when you hear about these games being the Spurs Stadium, you see it on billboards, you see a lot of cross-promotion with the men's side. I mean, I know Jürgen Klopp did a video for the women's side that they played at Anfield yesterday and got over 23,000. So it's actually promoting the usual games. It's where you can watch these teams play. Liverpool, for example, is 
is at Tramway Rovers. Um, so it's not exactly on the doorstep of Anfield. So mm. making sure that's clear. Um, and and that make, that goes a big way because you, I don't think few people that went to these games yesterday thought, oh, the football's rubbish. The football's great. The product's there now. It's just finding a way to get these fans across and making making clear where they're playing, when they're playing, how much it costs, things like that that are quite difficult to find usually. I know at a lot of these big stadiums that they're putting on quite a show. It's not just the football that, that you're going to see there. There's often DJs, etc. Do you think, and excuse this word, but do you think all that razzmatazz is what is needed for the women's game? I think part of it is, and I think it helps particularly when they're young families and probably football fans that don't usually go and watch the Premier League, for example, that doesn't have as much of that razzmatazz. But I think actually it's just, about getting people in and seeing the quality of football because most people that say they haven't gone to a women's game is because they're not sure what the standard will be like, you know, is it, is it really going to be that good? But actually it is now and I think that's the main thing that they will have seen and how close you can get to the players as well because that's something that the Premier League can't offer because of how big it is. Um, so I think, yeah, a part of that helps, the DJ helps. I mean, I know there's been lots of fan zones and I think Chloe Kelly was in one, the Everton forward before the Merseyside derby. So just how close you can get to the players is a unique selling point, I think, that we have to keep pushing. Do you know, that's something I, I, you just reminded me of. I was speaking to somebody a little bit earlier on who mentioned they were at the, the Tottenham game and they were in the mix zone waiting to speak to the Tottenham players and 20 minutes had gone at least um, after the full-time whistle and they were asking, you know, when are the Tottenham players coming through for the, for the post-match? And they were like, no, no, they're still out on the pitch. They've gone round. They're signing autographs. They're having selfies. And that accessibility is just so crucial, isn't it, to, to keep that bond or, or even to make bonds with new fans? Yeah, of course. I think you'd take somebody like Rachel Furness, who had a really, really good game for Spurs yesterday. And there were fans coming from Reading, uh, the club she's on loan from, to come and watch her. And, you know, maybe you don't have that same rivalry, but you do have a better relationship with the players. And um, that's something that you can't replicate, particularly with, with the young kids that get to go and they get things signed and they get selfies. That's something that... The, to credit the players, despite them being at such big stadiums, they're still acting the same way they would do if they were at your Kings Meadows and your, you know, local grounds that mm. wouldn't have as many thousand fans. Well, more than seventy thousand people turned out to celebrate Women's Football Weekend. And aside from this record-breaking weekend, Molly, what does it say about the WSL that Sam Kerr has signed for Chelsea? It's huge. I think she's probably one of the best strikers in the world up there with Vivian Miedema, who we've been raving about so much since she, yeah. she came to the Women's Super League with Arsenal. Um, and it's the fact that she chose to come to England, come to Chelsea, part of a project that could topple Leon as, as the best team in Europe and potentially the world. And actually, that prospect is now more attractive than joining Leon and just easily winning trophies. I mean, I spoke to Alex Greenwood, um, who had gone to Leon from Manchester United, and she was honest, and she said, I'm going there to improve my trophy cabinet. And yes, she will do that, but how competitive that always is. They have really big games in the Champions League, of course, but how exciting is it for someone like Sam Kerr, who is a proven goal scorer, to go out and, and make records and break new ground for English football? And I think that's the potential that she really brings to Chelsea, because that's probably been their weakness they've had such a strong side they've got a good squad depth now but they've sometimes been missing that real world-class finisher and you know care is that molly as ever thank you very much thank you
So we've had the international break, the last international break of 2019. But just because there was international football doesn't mean there wasn't any EFL action. Plenty went on in Leagues 1 and 2. And Wickham went back to the top of the table in League 1 on Sunday. Gareth Ainsworth's side beat Tranmere 2-0 to leapfrog Ipswich, albeit having played a couple of extra games. Now, just seven years ago, the supporters' trust took over Wickham in League 2. A few months later, they appointed... Ainsworth perilously close to the relegation zone. Since then, Gareth has slowly turned their fortunes around, taking them into League One in 2018. And now, as I've mentioned, they are top, edging closer to the championship. Gregor, let's get your EFL hat on. <laughs> How long can Wickham keep hold of Ainsworth if he's, uh, well, doing such a good job as he is doing right now? I think he's he's in it for the long haul. There have be, There has been interest. I believe Sunderland, Millwall, Lincoln... I've all shown interest, but um, I visited Adams Park a few weeks ago and, and Gareth Ainsworth said that it's going to take something pretty spectacular for him to leave. He's he's built up a, a very strong relationship with the club and with the fans and, and with a group of players he's worked with for a long time. When he took over there, Wickham were struggling to stay in the Football League um, and there's been all sorts of stories about him going on eBay to, to buy goal nets and and balls to during pre-season so he could, so his so his team were ready and and had equipment when they arrived back for pre-season um and there's obviously been there's been investment outside investment from Americans uh in the last last few weeks um the supporters trust voted that through that was a really kind of pivotal pivotal moment for them because they have been working on a shoestring budget for so long and now they've got that extra investment to to perhaps add some players in January. But I think I think Ainsworth is in it for the long haul. I think he's he's been there, he's the longest serving manager in the EFL and it's it's a job that's that's very important to him. And the players, there's a real team spirit there. The players have a lot of the players have been there since the league two days, one promotion and he's improved them. He's improved them and it, I I draw some parallels with with Shrewsbury Town um, a couple of years ago under Paul Hurst who Paul Hurst just got a really cohesive unit together and improved the players and they were up around the top two for most of the season just dropped into the playoffs towards the end and lost in the playoff final but one thing you have to say is Wickham are seven points clear of Coventry in the third so they're certainly going very well and, and uh, long may it continue and in general really since Gareth Ainsworth has taken over James it is just a good news story that we like to hear when a club has been so close to perhaps going out of the Football League and now, uh, well, so early on in the season, of course, but right now they're top of League One. They could be playing in the Championship next season. It reminds me a little bit of what Bournemouth did um, yeah. when they were yeah. uh, they were perilously close to dropping out of the Football League um, and then we all know what happened with Eddie Howe um, since then. Um, just going back to Ainsworth, I think, there and, and talking about what you were saying, what we were discussing about whether he stays or whether he gets tempted by a bigger offer. There's always a danger when you're a manager doing well in League One. I think of Nathan Jones and at Luton, and sort of the grass might always be greener, and mm. and, and then you find that you know maybe the better option would have been to stay with the club. And you know, I I um I remember when when Orient were in this position in their position five years ago in League One, and in January. I think that that squad was quite a small, tight-knit squad. It needed investment. And in the end, it went from being in the automatic places to the playoffs. And I think if, if Wickham are going to sustain this and stay in that top two, um, 
they might need that in January, a couple more new faces. Talking of the top two, the Peterborough owner, Darren McAntony, isn't happy with the situation as things stand at the top of the table. And that is based on Ipswich and Wickham having already played Bolton earlier on this season. A Bolton side at the time that had kids playing for them. This was before the investment that came into the club. Do you think Darren has a point in all of this, Gregor? Absolutely. I think the Bolton team is unrecognisable to what it was at the start of the season. You know, Bolton very nearly went to the wall. They had... They were essentially fielding their youth team uh, in their opening handful of games and they had a frantic transfer deadline day uh, recruiting recruiting enough players to make them be able to challenge this season at least. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of those players have been very important. Daryl Murphy coming in and lead, leading the line. Um, Chris O'Grady, another experienced striker who's, who, who was brought in. Liam Bridcutt who's been missing with injury but he, uh, he's, he's going to be a very important player for them so absolutely um, McAnthony has a point but the EFL were in a, an enviable position I think you know Bolton had to fulfil their fixtures um, I think if they if they hadn't fulfilled their fixtures then they could have been it could have been the same as Bury they could have been expelled from the league so it is unfair but there's not really much that they can do about it and and Bolton, meanwhile, are a very different proposition and they've given themselves a, a glimmer of hope. Well, you mentioned Bolton and Daryl Murphy there. Um, he's got a 93rd minute winner against the MK Dons, which, um, well, after 14 games into this season, has helped Bolton to finally reach plus points or positive points, shall we say. They are, though, still 12 points from safety, but there is a heck of a lot of games still to come in the league. Can they possibly do it? Could they get themselves out of the, the relegation mire that they're in right now, James? What do you think? Um, it's they a tall have, order. It is a tall order. Um, they've almost got to have playoff form between now and the end of the season. Um, but it, it, it seems strange. But I think, I mean, do you, do you think the fact that they're now on positive points is a significant psychological lift? I think it's symbolic, yes. I think, you know, that was a, that was a, a mountainous task for them at the start of the season. 12 points deduction. And relatively quickly, it's been erased. And, you know, they beat Fleetwood Town, who are flying high in the league. And they beat MK Dons at the weekend, who are also relegation threatened. And I think Keith Hill and, and David Flitcroft have just kind of infused a bit of a bit of belief and a bit of, you know, there's there's like I say, there's a glimmer of hope there now. And the team has some experienced players and you just never know. Well, actually, if you look at the table as it stands, they are bottom after 14 games, but a lot of the teams around them have played 17. So they have games in hand. So it's not out of reach. Well, if you win those three games, it's three points off AFC Wimbledon. And then, you know, you've only got a couple more results and you're dragging Accrington Stanley and Tranmere in. You know, you're, they, they will be boosted by the fact that they're on plus one now. And um, and if they can if they can keep up this form, then then why not? Um, let's dip into League Two and a managerial departure, a managerial departure that does happen very very quick into someone's well new role. And I'm talking about Carl Fletcher at Leighton Orient. It was what just last month that he was appointed the boss, Gregor, and yes. yet he's now lost his job. What on earth is going on? It's a very delicate situation there. I, th- I tried to allude in, in my column today that the club very much stuck by the the group of players who who won promotion last season 
and the backroom staff, Justin Edinburgh's back, backroom staff, which consists of Ross Embleton, Joby McEnough, who's a player coach, and Danny Webb, who's a former manager. And they use the word culture a lot. They feel that since they've since the owners have arrived arrived at the club, they have generated a, a very kind of positive culture and they've really stuck by the players who got who, who earned the promotion. They they have eighteen players contracted for next season, which is very unusual in the lower leagues. Whether that decision was wise or not to stick so kind of religiously with the players who, who won promotion at, in a lower div, lower division, there's a big question mark about that just now because they're they're in the bottom half of the league and on on Saturday's evidence against Scunthorpe United, they lost they lost two 0 Um, I would say that it's going to be a difficult season for them, and it was a difficult a difficult situation for Carl Fletcher in that he was one outsider who was joining this kind of I used used the phrase band of brothers in my column today because they've been through a lot a lot these players together. Um, they've gone from from celebrating promotion in May to grieving the death of their manager. In in June, and that that really brings everyone together, and they've all been through all that together. And for a manager to come in without being able to bring in his own backroom staff, they use the phrase "embrace the culture," but to just to integrate really with that when you've you've got very little authority is a, is a difficult task, and it's going to be the same task that's that's faced by the by the next manager because the board and the director of football. Uh, Martin Ling are determined to stick by their 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 backroom team and the group of players who won promotion last season. So I think there were question marks about Carl Fletcher and the way he sort of integrated with the group. Um, but it was a very difficult situation for him, and it's going to be the same for the next man. If 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 the next manager through the door fails to to get the the the, the required reaction from the players, then. They're going to have some difficult questions to, to ask. Well, I was going to ask, then what happens next, James? Because if, if it didn't work for Carl Fletcher after six games, uh, surely other managers are going to be looking and thinking, do I really want to work under that sort of, under those sort of circumstances where I can't bring in my own man, for example? Um, and, you know, the, six games is just not a long time to give anyone. It's not. And um, there was quite a lengthy recruitment process to bring Fletcher in in the first place um, with a number of candidates and okay fair play to the club you could you could on on one hand you could say well done to them for realizing they'd made the mistake quickly and I think the owner and the director of football deserve credit in that they actually did a I think they did a fans Q&A before the game you know how many owners do that you Mm -hmm. know and and we'll Mm -hmm. and we'll front up so 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 quickly I think I think Nigel Travis was on TalkSport as well Um, so you know, you in that regard, they've 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 acted very well to rectify the mistake. But you've got to question the recruitment process. That that you know, surely you you will be able to find out if someone's going to fit with what mm. you've got going on. I think the club want Ross Embleton to take over full time. He's been caretaker twice. He had the unfathomable task of having to step in when Justin passed away, which he did a phenomenal job and but I don't think he wants necessarily to be a manager at this time and this is the problem you know if the the club are going to have found themselves almost a month on back back to square one so um you know I think probably the best thing for them to do would be if Ross would agree to take it to the end of the season maybe 
Um, one thing I wanted to ask you quickly, they've been talking about culture. What is it like when there is a manager who just doesn't click with the players? Have you ever, have, did you ever, what was the shortest term managerial reign you ever played under? I've played, played under various caretaker managers, but it's a very different situation in that more often than not, they've already been at the club. Uh, so they're familiar with the players and the staff. Um, and the, th- the the thing that was very unique about about Carl Fletcher was that he wasn't wasn't able to bring in any staff, and uh, I understand that he wanted to, he although he was only there a few weeks he he'd already made clear that he wanted to move move certain players on in the summer and uh, Martin Ling and the board disagreed with that so really he had very little authority from from almost the word go as I say I think it, there was you know there's nuance in this I think. He possibly could have done more to, to sort of ingratiate with the players and the staff, but at the same time, this is a group who've who've been through a lot together, and it was a difficult task for anyone. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today: James Restall, Henry Winter, and Molly Hudson. Remember, you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search the Times subscription for more information, and we'll be back on Thursday as we look forward to the Premier League returning. Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.